0: My guest today, Mary Robinson, served as the first female president of Ireland from 1990 to 1997. She then served as the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights and has since undertaken a variety of roles in the UN system, often focusing on human rights, gender equality, and as is the focus of our conversation today, climate justice. Mary Robinson and I have an extended conversation about what climate justice means and what it entails, and I admit this is a concept that I was unaware of until Mary Robinson began to champion it a few years ago. Mary Robinson now serves as the head of the Mary Robinson Foundation. We spoke a couple of weeks ago in Yerevan, Armenia, where Mary Robinson was serving as part of a jury pool to select the winner of this year's Aurora Prize for Awakening Humanity. This is an honor that was bestowed on a Rohingya human rights lawyer named Kya La Ong. And if you want to learn more about the Aurora Prize and the Aurora Humanitarian Initiative, I'd encourage you to visit auroraprize.org. And I should say I'll have an interview with one of the other finalists coming up in the next few weeks. Mary Robinson and I had a tight 15 minutes between panel sessions at the Aurora Prize events in Armenia. And I was glad she made time for this interview. I think you will enjoy it very much. I know I did. I've been wanting to speak to her for a while, and this was a great opportunity to interact and meet and speak with someone who is a a lifelong champion of, of human rights. And I should say we also, at the very end, talk about the recent referendum in Ireland on expanding abortion rights. Here is Mary Robinson, former President of Ireland, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, an all around global amazing person. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I-, I do want to kick off by asking you about your podcast. You told me yesterday oh, yes. that, that yeah, yes. you told me okay. yesterday that you're okay. about to start a podcast. Yes, plug <laughs> it, please <laughs> tell tell everyone. It's called
1: Mothers of Invention. Okay, and necessity is the mother of invention. It's about the climate crisis, which we identify um, a bit humorously as a man-made crisis, and that it needs women to resolve that crisis. So we're talking about various issues like divestment and litigation on climate change and uh, plastics and food and faith and health. But we're doing it from the perspective of what women are doing and uh, the way uh, women are uh, making a
0: difference. So let's talk about maybe one of those issues and and the ways in which... Oh, and I should mention that my
1: my, um, companion on this podcast... Uh, this is the first one I've done, but she's done quite a few, is Maeve Higgins. She's also Irish. She's based in New York, and she's a comedian, okay. and she provokes me. Uh, and we have a great time together. <laughs>
0: you have a good rapport. <laughs> very good rapport. Yeah, okay. You're like the straight woman to her comic relief. A little bit, but she's okay. drawing me to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I so look forward to, to listening to yeah, it. Yeah, I
1: think, I think it's important that we uh, have that humor as well as a, a really basic seriousness. We're both very concerned. I mean, I've made her... Change all her lifestyle, she says, and um, from the <laughs> fact that she 's now aware of the climate crisis and how little time
0: we have mm-hmm. to change our behavior so I was in preparing for this interview, I was um, thinking about the term climate justice and I believe, and I realized it was you that introduced me to the concept at the Rio Plus Twenty conference. I was, you know, a member of the press mm-hmm. that was there, and I remember you you gave a, a talk, and that was the first time I'd ever, really ever been exposed to the idea, the concept of, of climate justice. Uh, the Rio Plus Twenty, for people who don't know, is a, a big UN conference mm-hmm. uh, in Rio de Janeiro in 2012. So. Could you just explain for people who are not aware of the concept what what that is? I
1: think the easiest way to understand climate justice is to begin with the injustice of the impacts of climate change. And that injustice stems from the fact that it's the poorest countries and poorest communities, even in richer countries, that suffer disproportionately. And they're not the ones that are driving cars, that are doing major manufacturing, that have central heating, etc. And yet, Uh, you know, I became aware of this working in Africa after I had served for five years as UN High Commissioner for Human Rights. I didn't make a single speech on climate change and human rights on climate justice then. But working in Africa on issues like right to health, uh, water, women, peace and security, everybody kept saying to me, but things are so much worse now. And I discovered the worst was we just don't know what's happening. We don't know, our, our harvests are being destroyed, we, we don't know when to sow, we don't know when to, um, we have long periods of drought and then we have flash flooding, it's destroyed the village, it's destroyed the school, over and over again, and I've realised I kind of missed that connection between climate change and its negative impact on human rights. Now fortunately the Human Rights Council has caught up with this issue and issues a lot of resolutions and a lot of reports on just how negative climate change is for all kinds of human rights. Was there
0: a moment, a singular moment that you could point to where that realization, that, that connection um, was was apparent to you, that you realized that this is something that you ought to deserve, devote your your time and attention to?
1: I think it, it was certainly crystallized when I was uh, Honorary President of Oxfam before Copenhagen, before that conference, which was mm. the first conference I attended, first climate conference. And that was I, the
0: 2008 yes, climate conference. Yes, that's right. Yes.
1: And uh, it was supposed to be a big breakthrough one, but turned out not to be. Mm -hmm. And um, I was asked by Oxfam to uh, be part of their gathering evidence from people on the ground of how bad the situation was. And I sat on a panel with Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and we listened to five farmers from different parts of Africa. Four of them were women, of course, which is the reality. And as we listened, um, you know, each story, the the only man was from uh, Kenya— and he was down from 200 cattle to 20. Um, uh, a woman from Mali had said that a lot of her colleagues were now involved in prostitution, things have got so bad. But the one that really affected me, and she became a friend um, uh, subsequently, was Constance O'Kellett from northern Uganda. Um, and when I sort of began to tease these five farmers, you know, I said I come from the west of Ireland, my father was a doctor, we used to go out into the countryside, and he would always talked to the farmers about the weather and inevitably they always complained. Too much sun, too much rain, whatever it was. And I said, is this the problem? And I remember Constance saying in a very firm voice, this is outside our experience. And she looked at me very sternly and I thought, I'd better find out more about her experience. And she's one of the stories that I've written in a book that's coming out in September on climate justice, stories of hope and resilience and the fight for sustainable futures.
0: So, so let's. Can you tell another story from your book? Then this seems like a good opportunity to to, to tease it.
1: Yeah, one of the stories is um, about um, uh, the um, uh, hurricane in Louisiana, um, Katrina. Katrina. Yeah, two thousand five. Two thousand and five, yes. and it's a hairdresser who had her hairdressing salon, Sharon. Um, she came to the, the the conference in Copenhagen and she was slightly embarrassed to come from a rich country um, and be with so many developing country women telling their stories like Constance O'Kellert, though they became friends. Her story was that, uh, you know, they were devastated in um, their neighborhood and because it was a, a um, you know, she was a woman of color, um, their neighborhood just couldn't recover and she became a real activist In that context. Um, uh, Another story is of um, uh, Jani um, from the Sami people in northern Sweden talking about being a reindeer farmer and that the change in the weather means it goes from cold, which is fine for the uh, reindeer because they can smell the nurture under the snow, then it begins to warm up and then it goes cold again and there's a thin sheet of ice, and that causes the reindeer to go further and further. And, of course, the herders go further and both die. Hmm. They go onto the thin ice. And so, uh, you know, the, the way in which these women are coping and telling their stories um, is, is fantastic.
0: So what can the international community do? What can individuals do to um, to, to sort of push back against this sort of gender climate Nexus that, that you've identified that you've, you know, devoted your, your, your recent life's work to.
1: Well, the Paris Agreement was an extremely important breakthrough and gave us um, the goals and targets, if you like, that we have to stay well below two degrees of warming. We've just got above one, one degree, so we have very little space to increase our emissions. We've got to cut our emissions, which means we've got to move to clean energy. Um, Uh, electric cars on clean energy, um, uh, much more energy efficiency. And uh, there are so many things we can do in our own lives. Um, You know, we can eat less meat um, because that is, um, you know, the way in which land is used to um, uh, create emissions. Beef um, needs far more than um, even, you know, chickens, for example. And um, we can uh, also recycle much more effectively. I'm very glad that we've realized how dangerous plastics have become for our whole world. Plastics in the sea, plastics in fish. We seem to be at like a, a turning point there. Yes, we do. It's
0: really, it, it's interesting. You yeah, see more and more countries, yep. yeah, yep. Who, who they're born in, I think like Uganda might be banning plastic bags or perhaps Kenya. Kenya? Kenya, Kenya, yep. yeah, yeah. And
1: yeah. Um, I went to Rwanda recently um, for a conference about African leadership. I flew from Amsterdam to Kigali the capital of Rwanda. And when we landed, the pilot on the KLM flight said, if any of you have plastic bags, for example, if you've bought duty-free, leave your bags on the plane. You can get a heavy fine or imprisonment if you bring them into Rwanda. I thought, isn't that great?
0: You well, know. I don't know about imprisonment. That's... <laughs> no, well, you know... But the the, the severe, concept. Severe, the, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, taking it really seriously. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Well, so, I mean, we, again, seem to sort of be at a turning point there. Um, what what, did, what do you do, sort of every single day, to try to promote um, the, the the empowerment of women as they fight against the climate injustice, the man made crises that you said?
1: Well, with my foundation, we brought together uh, women who were ministers of energy, ministers of environment, uh, in a troika of women leaders, because the Troika came from the fact that three women had presided over the cops in the conferences of the parties in Copenhagen, which we mentioned. The following year it was in Cancun under a woman foreign minister, and the following year after that it was in Durban under a South African foreign minister. So three women presided over conferences, conference, and they helped us to bring together women um, who were coming to conferences in a leadership position, And we got the gender action plan eventually, partly through them, partly through a wider constituency of women um, working very hard for this. And now these women are trying to open the door for the voices of grassroots women coming into the conference. Um, Indigenous women, indigenous voices, which are really very important in saving forests, in being more vulnerable and having to be more resilient very quickly. And uh, so that's one of the things we've been doing i'm using the podcast um uh, mothers um uh, um the uh, mothers of, of an invention and the book coming out in september which bloomsbury will be publishing which is stories nine of the 11 stories are about about women as it happens um and uh, this is just because there is such a gender dimension to climate change
0: what is there an aspect of that gender dimension that even that, that people generally don't, don't get? You know, people listening to this podcast, I think, are generally well-informed. Uh, maybe they're in the policy community as well. But is there an aspect of that, that even sort of informed interlocutors just don't seem to to get?
1: Maybe it's, mis- it's sort of not fully understood the different impacts that climate has on men and women in developing countries because of the role of women. Um, uh, women play a different role even in agriculture. It's men who go to the markets and sell. Men do different crops sometimes from women. Um, uh, Women in uh, sudden um, hurricanes um, gather up the children, wear long skirts so they can't climb trees, can't run as fast. And women and children suffer disproportionate deaths and injuries from hurricanes, from cyclones that are becoming more severe. In small islands or in vulnerable uh, communities, uh, there are so many different aspects. Um, women have to go further for the water; they have to go further for the firewood. So, um, if you are going further, you're more prone to be, um, you know, attacked on route, raped, perhaps, and all of these uh, are exacerbated by climate change. You know, it has this kind of um, negative, worrying, exacerbating effect on. And um, what was in in any case, the reality of the gender divide and the gender difference in countries
0: so it, it almost acts as like a catalyst of of the negative trends that we already see. It just makes everything, that, makes everything that a bit much, worse that, yeah a bit worse yeah um in our last moment, can I sort of ask you to put on your your former president of Ireland hat and and uh, talk a little bit about this amazing referendum uh, we are speaking a, a few weeks after it uh, how how sort of how you have you approached that that news? Um, what's your reaction to, to to what happened?
1: I'm very proud of my country. I was proud of the referendum on same-sex marriage. We were the first country to yes, have a referendum. Yes, yes. And it was very positive because it wasn't an urban-rural divide. Every county um, in the country uh, voted positively except one in, uh, in the west of Ireland, Roscommon. This time um, in a much, much more difficult issue for the Irish people um, to have to come to terms with the fact that we had to address an amendment of the Constitution which had equated the life of the mother and the life of the unborn. As a a a very active senator in 1983, I spent a lot of time opposing, putting that into the Constitution, warning about what might happen. And that YouTube video of me um, arguing with um, a, a male counterpart who was very much supporting making that amendment um, to the Constitution, that did the rounds a lot um, before the It went election. viral
0: before there was uh, Verla. Well, <laughs> yes, it, it, yeah. it was yeah.
1: repeated over and over again. It yeah. went, went on to serious programs They would just do that clip. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, that was helpful to me because as a former president, it's not um, uh, the practice to engage in what is uh, essentially a very political issue. Uh, I didn't need to because my views were known and I was able to say I haven't changed them. Uh, But I I really was very proud of the fact that young women in particular, young men and women in Ireland, opened up a conversation, gave up on no one, talked to their grandmothers, talked to uh, anybody who would talk to them and said, we have to address this, we have to mature as a society. A lot of young people came back to vote at their own expense and they really... Um, encouraged uh, the the need to address this very difficult issue. To be honest when I saw the kind of celebration I thought that's a bit too much. Mm. You know this is just a very difficult issue and a painful issue and very difficult for women who have to face that issue and it wasn't so much but I think what we were what we were proud of was that at last we had matured into understanding the need to respect women's rights and to give women the responsibility for that decision and to enable it to happen in Ireland and not export it to Britain as had happened over the
0: years. It, it was powerful to, to watch, uh, from, from abroad, watch the on social media, the hashtags of, of going home. Absolutely. To, to it was, it was yes. a very like moving experience. Yeah, it was. For, and it was, from afar.
1: It, it was very much affirming, uh, the position of women in society, which, you know, we still need to fully affirm.
0: Well, I, I must let you go, but before I do, I just want to say thank you so much for, just on a personal level, for introducing me to the concept of, of climate justice, you know, those years ago in, in Brazil. It's something that I've been following. I'm, yeah. I'm just grateful and honored to, to speak with you. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for letting me mm-hmm. again uh, share my passion for climate justice. And the one thing it requires is a solidarity in our world. And that solidarity was there in 2015 with the Agenda 2030, 17 Sustainable Development Goals and the Climate Agreement. We've kind of fractured it um, a little bit um, in America first, other countries first, more autocratic leaders, more kind of hate speech. We actually need that solidarity because without it, no country will weather climate change. Um, Every country will suffer the way the most vulnerable parts of the world are already suffering unless we can get on top of it, which we can. I'm absolutely convinced we can have a much better future by having a renewable energy future, an energy efficient future. Actually, um, being less consumer-driven and more thoughtful about mending things. I grew up in a, an era where we mended things you know, that broke, and we need to have a circular economy where we have very little waste. That would be good for everything.
0: Uh, well, well, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to, to the podcast as good. well. I, I can't wait. It's my
1: first podcast, so I'm excited about it. Excited. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the Honorable Mary Robinson. That was great. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I'll have uh, one more episode coming from my time I spent in Yerevan as part of the uh, Aurora Prize delegation, I suppose you can say. Uh, I was invited there, and uh, the Aurora Prize people uh, paid for my uh, flight and and hotel, and I was very glad they did. It was a really inspiring time, and uh, I'm looking forward to having them as an advertiser actually next month, so stay tuned. As always, feel free to get in touch with me uh, via the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Love hearing from you guys. And I also want to plug my bonus episode with Ambassador Samantha Power. Uh, you can access that by becoming a patron of the show. There's a, a link where you can support the show via the Patreon platform and unlock that bonus episode and other bonus episodes as well. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.